This is the Educated Footballer Podcast, brought to you by Future Football Qatar. This is the place we talk all things related to football and football education. If you're a coach looking for ways to develop educated players, or someone looking to gain a football-related qualification or education in order to work in the exciting football industry, then this is the podcast for you. I'm Simon Evans. I'm here with Mike Phelan, Assistant Manager of Manchester United. Dave Horrocks, academic and also research consultant at Manchester United. And in this next half hour or so, we're going to be looking at the world of sport and what you can learn for your business from the teamwork, the personal development, the attitudes, the approach that people in sport take to get on the cutting edge and to be absolutely the best in their fields and get those winning margins over their opponents. It's very much a similar world to the cutthroat world of business and we want to get into some of those issues straight away here now with uh, Dave, first of all, what is the really core things that people in business can take from sport that can give, the, give them an advantage? I think there's quite a bit you can learn from sport. Uh, one of the things that you get in particular in sport is you actually get a result every three days or every seven days, which is scrutinised in the media uh, which has consequences, uh, be them positive or negative. There are lots of people in business these days that do employ people from the sporting domain as consultants or as advisors or as mentors to try and be able to take them to the next level or offer that little bit of insight into their companies, whether that be at personal level, at team level, or how particular groups may operate. Um, there's one reasonably famous study today, which was done by Google. I think it was around about 2015. This is one of the biggest companies in the world, and they commissioned an extensive project to find out what makes teams tick. Mm. Uh, who are in these teams? Why are they in these teams? And how are they operating? Uh, and, I mean, what they found... It took quite a while, uh, and for a long period of time, they didn't actually get any answers. Uh, in some teams, they were all friends. In some teams, they were all strangers. In some teams, they were friends and strangers, which, again, I think you will definitely find when we speak to Mike shortly within a football club. Some cultures or some teams within the company had quite rigid hierarchy. Uh, some had more of a laissez-faire mode of operation, for want of a better word. Um, and some had quite clear, uh, directed and pointed structures, and some had more of an experimental structure in terms of, right, we need to get to Z, how are we going to get there? But let's review it along the way and make sure that we do get there. Um, now, sort of moving forward, one of the things that they found at Google in terms of a personal level was who was in the teams didn't really matter uh, and what, what they were looking for and what they concluded were there are certain norms within a culture and organisation that are actually part of what would be deemed successful in Google. Uh, and again, this might not be applicable to anything else, but Google, a major company, it's certainly well worth looking at. Five things that they found. Psychological safety, dependability, structure and clarity, meaning and impact. And if those type of things are present, they tended to feel 
that that would be what drove that company or that organisation towards the success that they have as a company. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I found the psychological safety aspect of that. When I, when I, when I watched the presentation that Google made about it, this idea that people should feel comfortable in a team in putting forward ideas with a degree of risk, knowing that they, it might sound stupid to their boss or it might sound stupid to someone alongside them. And you've got to encourage people to think out of the box if you want to get ideas. Of course, further down the line, someone's got to, to make a decision, haven't they? But... Yeah, it, it's that. Don't be embarrassed. Uh, make everyone safe in terms of taking risks. Trust their expertise and give those team members or individuals license to do what they want to do and what they're qualified to do. And, and we see this in the sporting world. We, we have a manager, we have a coach, we have players. But around that, we have analysts, we have medical people, we have sports scientists different people within a sports science department might be strength and conditioning but yeah, I mean Mikkel alluded to this more both on the in the multidisciplinary team and the playing side but surely you must trust these guys yeah I think trust is is a major factor yes you have to you have to start from a starting point of who can bring what to the table you know and, and sometimes that is expertise but also sometimes it's, it's, it's outliers, people who are not quite fitting into your environment but can bring something which spontaneously erupts people into, into thinking differently. Mm. Um, I think that's a really important, important part of bringing a group together. I, I, I do feel as though everybody has an opinion, everybody has a voice. I think it's then down to certain individuals who will then put that together like a jigsaw puzzle and, and try and project that to, to everybody else in order to work to a specific regime. Um, but I do, I do see in, in sport that departments are important, but departments shouldn't just work as silos. They should work with other departments in order to push the boundaries. Risk-taking is an element of producing something different if we all stay the same then that's how we are we're just the same but the major issue in sport is to push the boundaries mm. how do you do that people push the boundaries and i think in sport there are staff members but then there are players the players need to be pushed the players are always on that edge of success they want success how are they going to get there so they need people behind them to to give them that acknowledgement that that group, that group of people can push and push and push, take risks in order to be successful. And then I think you get buy-in and you get, uh, you get a good group of people that will always be on the edge of something special. I mean, it's a lot more of a complicated structure these days than it used to be, isn't it, a football club? You're talking about departments there. You know, 30 years ago, football clubs didn't really have departments. They'd have a commercial department. Exactly, yeah. and, and now we've got all sorts of departments, even just on the football side with sports science and, and so on. So, so what, what Dave started off talking there about teams and so on, inside those departments, um, they will have their own approach to, the, to how they work as a team and so on. But... I would imagine it's fundamental how you get all those different teams within an organisation pulling in the same direction. I always direction. found, uh, and I still do find, the importance of the team around the team. 
Mm. And, and, you know, in, in the success that, that I've achieved, it hasn't been solely down to the individual. It's been a group of people that have blended together a thought process and after the thought process, a doing process. They've got on with it. They've done it. They, they get, you know, they roll their sleeves up. They get mucked in. They, they, mm. they, they have an objective and the buy-in is there from everybody. So you're bringing along people who are different, work differently, think differently, but eventually it brings together the whole, you know, it brings together that jigsaw puzzle whereby you can see it working, you can see the development, and then you pass that on to the team that is going to deliver it. And if they buy into that and they can see the process, I think then you've got a successful group of people working together. And that is something unique. It is quite elite and, and it's, it's then a matter of trying to keep that together for as long as you possibly can. But it's also, you know, in, in, in my line of work and it's happened in the past, changing it. Mm. Don't be afraid to change it. Don't be afraid to, to mix it up a little bit, to bring in alternative people into that group. Even, even take away some of that group at times, mm. you know, in order to, to challenge those individuals that are left, you know, and that is, that's an important thing. It's not just building more and more and more. Sometimes it's about building less and less, mm. but making it tighter Focused. and a little bit more unique and more focused. One of the things I know it's interesting, just specifically on, on United at the moment, uh, when I sit in the prep box and look down, most teams, in fact, I'd probably say almost all the teams in the Premier League, the person in the technical area will be, will be the manager of the team who's out there. At United, you almost seem to rotate it depending on situations or what the message is. There's a lot of different voices going out there to the players then, isn't there? Is yeah, it is a different dynamic now. You know, it's um, everybody... Well, the culture we're trying to create there amongst the staff is one of everybody has an opinion. We're all dealing daily with with what goes out on the grass, with the players. We all have an opportunity to put our specialist approach to it. On match day, it is down to, to three or four people who get that information across. But really, the information doesn't happen on the day of the game. That's already been done. It's already been prepared. We're just reinforcing things from the touchline. Yes, we're correcting things when they're not there, mm. but we have a discussion on that and then we decide on who is the person to to deliver that onto the onto the field of play. Because what we found is certain playing members react differently to different people. You know, if the manager was to get up there, then there's a reason for that. And it's usually pretty acute. It's usually pretty, you know, we better we better listen sort of approach when it's myself or when it's maybe the other coaches it's a slightly different approach mm. or maybe a player takes more information off one coach better than the other mm. so so it's it's multifaceted really and uh, and we're quite open to yes the manager has the main say but we are there as as his helpers to to get that information across in a in a slightly different way than than him i mean it just strikes me that 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 fit in a little bit with what dave was saying at the start about that Creating that culture, that psychological safety of, of of people being able to step forward with an opinion. If in the middle of a match somebody can walk out into the technical area, who's maybe one of a team of how many are you? Four or five? Yeah, coaches? four or five. Yeah. yeah, and take that responsibility to start transmitting a message out there. 
you've obviously got a degree of that there, haven't you? You're not, you've not, you're not got an environment. Yeah, we're pretty, pretty fluid with that now because we work with them day in, day out. I mean, we all have slightly different roles within that mm. that system now. You know, from the manager downwards, we all have roles and responsibilities throughout the week, not just on match days. But really, it's 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 the team that is the team mm. of the field, and respectfully. You know, we, we offer all our experiences, our advice to the team that is on the field. And, you know, there's a message in that. There's always a way of doing that. And, and, and how you get that message across is, is vitally important. Because in the heat of the moment, in the heat of the battle, we you're never quite sure who can take on that responsibility mm. on the field of play. And we all have different subtleties. That's the important thing about a team, a group of people. We all have different ways of doing things, how we analyse things, how we think, how we talk. You know, some people are quite extroverts, some are quite introverted. And it's it's finding that moment when your specialist opinion is required. You know, mm. what you can bring to the, you know, some people like an aggressive guy on the touchline. Some people like a quiet guy on the touchline. Outside of the football club, everybody has an opinion on that as to, you know, how do you get involved in the, in the football match? So we we tend to just work as a team because we know what our team requires at certain mm. points in time. I think it's really interesting that Dave. I mean, in the business in the business world, they're the equivalent of the of the, of the C-suite people, aren't they? They're, you know, if, if you've got a manager there, Oli Gunnarsson in this case, who's got his heads of departments mm -hmm. or, or with him and they're sat on the bench then they're coming up with ideas and the, I guess the old model from football was I guess we'll go back to that documentary about Graham Taylor when he was England manager and you know his assistant was sat next to him at the time just just saying yes boss basically <laughs> and and then obviously things have moved a long way along from that but in business what what can what, what do you think businesses can pick up on from from football from that the way that coaching teams seem to operate and their departments as well. I think you've, you've got that dynamism uh, in terms of being able to do something uh, that has structure and clarity, but do it for a purpose. And like you say, the sort of C-suite, it is now divided up at the top. You might have someone who's responsible for the day-to-day -day operation of the country, company, but also someone who's responsible for the strategy of the company. Where's it going in 2021? What we expected to look like in 2023? So if you're looking at that particular thing, you can't also be operating it because you're going to get cross wires to a degree. Mm. So you let them, they're operating as part of the same top level team to a degree, but they're both driving the company forward. Uh, one is making sure it ticks today on this daily basis whereas one is making sure that it's still successful in years to come. Now, in football, you've got that. Uh, from my time within the environment, you're playing a match every three days, so there are certain people within this organisation that will have already, last week, been focusing on Everton, who we play on Wednesday, mm. or Leicester, who we play next weekend. But there was the importance of dealing with yesterday's matter, which was Leeds United, and there's a trust within that organisation that all these things are happening, but no one's getting lost in one that might take away any focus that you might have on the job in hand. Uh, 
and it happens very, very quick in football. So I think sometimes what people can learn in business, learn from the football world in the business world, is how do you sort of prepare and react to these things in, in such a quick, short, sharp turnaround way because you're going to get a result every three days in football. Mm. Uh, and because of that... It's not financial quarters, is it? It's, a... it? it's not. And do you stick to the plan? Is it a long-term plan in sport? Is it short-term? Because we've won this game, does that mean that we play the next game the same? Or do we stick to the plan in terms of preparing specifically for each particular opponent? Now, in business, that might be each particular deal. You might be doing a business deal with a telecoms company this week. Next week, you might be doing a deal with an energy company or you're looking at a partnership with a governmental department and a strategy for a country. They're all different and these are different football matches. So people can take from sport how you prepare and how you shift quite quickly and who's focusing on what, why and when and also what does it look like to win. I mean, let's sort of get to the crux of it, mate. We, we prepare to win football matches. You, you don't sort of do your best and hope that something's going to happen. There are 38 league games. You're actually preparing to win every single one of them. Each game's unique in its own little way. And you know, the amount of preparation has to be fast and fluid because of the timescale you're working under. Uh, experience gives you a little head start on, on, on that in, in football where you have certain processes in place it has grown in size over the years because the turnaround is quicker and quicker. And it is multifaceted in some ways because one minute you're playing in your domestic competition and in, in, in the next you're playing in a European competition. And it is different. Mm. But you have to put processes in place through people and communication in order to make that as fluid as possible. You don't always get it right, but you find a way through that in order to make sure that you're consistent to a degree in 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 selection, mm. you know, and, and you have to plan ahead. You have to plan ahead. And sometimes it's easier planning further ahead and coming backwards than it is going forwards, as daft as that may sound, because you may pick a team three games ahead of the actual game you're playing in order to be consistent in your selection and also use your assets to the best you possibly can. Mm. So... So you, you sometimes work backwards, not necessarily forwards all the time. And that, that, that comes through experience, but it's, um, it requires a team to do that because certain things have to be in place. And I think that's important. But it's uh, sport and business do, do compete, but they also there are fundamentals in there that I think are quite, quite yeah. clear. Because I know, I know when you had a little spell away from coaching, you used that time to have a look at that in, in some depth and travelled around and did some research yeah. and so on. I mean, what did you, what did you take out of, the, of, of those? <laughs> Reflection's an interesting thing because when, you, when I was on that 15-year roller coaster of game, training, not even training sometimes, just recovering and playing, travelling, you don't get the opportunity to look back. Mm. you're always looking forward it's only when you've come outside of it a little bit that you get an understanding of how it happened because it is confusing it is it is the moment you're in and you are pretty focused on the next step the next bit ahead you very rarely get the time to look backwards 
when you come out of it, you can reflect. And you realise sometimes your mistakes and you realise your achievements, which you don't really, you get whilst you're in the moment. But when you come outside of it, you analyse it a little bit further and there are good points, bad points, things you want to do better. And, and then there's the eagerness to want to remedy some of those issues that, that happened before mm. when you go into the next line of work. But they're all accumulative. They're all there for you to work with. And I think when you get around a good group of people who've experienced like-minded things, I think you can come up with an answer. You can come up with the next plan of action and where you want it to take you and who you want to go on that journey with. And I think that's that's a really important factor. Reflection is, is important. Mm. You only have minute times to do it but it's important that you do it. Yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting. I, was, I interviewed um, Maurizio Pochettino a few months back, and he's obviously out of work at the moment, and he was saying that he's, he's actually really enjoying that little spell of time because he said, I don't know when I'll next get a chance to look back on games and decisions I made and things that I did. And I would imagine in the business world, Dave, if somebody's the CEO of a company and they're under pressure and they've got to deliver every day, and the only break they get might be to go with their family on a holiday. It's probably not going to be the chance that they, they're going to use to reflect. But I would imagine in business it's also extremely important to just take a step back and have a look and see where, where, where have things been going the last few years. Is this going the right way? How, how do people manage to do that, do you think? I think you've got to do it in a, in a professional manner and actually allow for that time to, to perhaps almost, for want of a better word, fly above your business in a helicopter and just look down on it mm. and see what's going on. Are the departments working and doing what they're supposed to be doing? Are they cohesive? Do they complement each other? Uh, and again, I think when you look at sport, you can actually sit in the stadium and look down and sort of think, right, I've got my defence and I've got my goalkeeper. In business, that might be your financial or your legal department. That, that's that got structure. It has to operate in a certain way to defend a goal and stop things happening. You've got your forward department. You can look down on that. That's the creative department. That might be sales and marketing. It might be advertising. It might be the future. Are they experimenting? Are they experimenting within reason? Uh, does it look like they are going to score a goal? Mm. And then you might have your midfield, which might be your operational, your managerial department, which is in between the two, which is looking forwards and looking back and checking that the two are operating in tandem cohesively and they're working. Now, sounds a bit of a wander off at a tangent there on the subject, but what I'm getting at is if that business leader can hover above and look down on that football match, is it working? Are those units doing what they're supposed to be doing? And if they are, it should actually look seamless. I've brought me up there into different departments mm. in football and in business. But theoretically, you should be able to look down and say, this is a good match, this. I like it. And I think we're going to win because my departments are operating. I can understand that because sometimes you get your best moments and your best ideas or your best management structural ideas when you're not actually in it when you're not actually sort of day to day in it mm. you take a little moment out of it and it might be you know when you're, you're involved in something else it might be through sport it might be you know as a, a manager of a company you you, you you could be playing tennis you could be playing cricket you could be playing it but your, your, your most intuitive moments come 
outside of your environment. And, uh, and that's happened to, to me many a times where, you know, I can, I can recollect times when I've been furthest, my mind's been furthest away from football, but something outside of the games brought me back to football and made me more energetic, more, mm. more capable, more ready for the task in hand. I know that that's coming, but I've took myself away from it, but now I'm going back in it to really energise everything. And I, I think that's, it's a real strange thing that happens, but it does happen. You, you sometimes, you know, that like I would say, and you can't see the wood for the trees sometimes yeah. because it's day-to-day, non-stop. Taking yourself outside of that a little bit, allowing other people to operate whilst you're outside of it, sometimes re-energises you to come back into it and the people who are in there. So I think it's, it's, it's knowing that. You know, I suppose experience can give you that that notion of when I need to let the people work, just stay away from it a little bit, then then I come back in and find out exactly what they're doing. But you're giving them ownership a little bit, ownership of the roles that they've got to do to produce something, and then you fine-tune it because you're fresher. You're fresher to fine-tune mm. it, uh, and I think that works. I mean, you obviously worked alongside Sir Alex Ferguson there, and he had his, his own leadership style that probably evolved yeah. over the years. I don't know, but he, how did he? I mean, he did he delegate much? Was he, you know, because he, he, the public image was of somebody who was very, you know, authoritarian, if you like, or a very strong leader personality. And I think he learned to delegate. Right. You know, I think he initially stepped into to his line of work by being the boss. You know, he was the overall master of, of everybody's destiny, you know. And I think over a period of time, he understood that that was something he probably didn't enjoy doing. Mm. You know, he probably thought there are other people out there with a little bit more expertise, a little bit more energy, a little bit more life. He was a great believer in youth, and that's not just on the football field, but youth in the background as well. He gave them opportunity, and I think through youth, that energised him. Mm. And then he, he, he went from that into into delegating and, and he was comfortable, very comfortable at delegating. Right. And and I think that that gave everybody a bit of belief. Because you did sometimes question yourself and say, Well, why me? Why has he trusted me with this role or why has he given us the opportunity to take this football club further or take him further? And I think there was an element of trust in that. Mm. And I think we all bought into that, the people that he brought in. And he wasn't afraid to change it. He wasn't afraid to, you know, to, to, to make mistakes. Uh, he just made less mistakes than most people. But he gave everybody the opportunity to grow. Mm. Uh, and the club, the club backed him on that. And, 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 and that gave everybody that assurance of we have a, a, a plan, we have an action, and we can get on with it. We, we can see the growth in that. We can see that route ahead without worrying about, well, if we get that wrong, this is going to happen, you know. Yes, there are consequences to actions, certainly are. But I think as you're developing, you get that trust and that belief that you can can make something really work and and he gave us that. So Alex Ferguson was very good at that, Mm. very good at that. Which you wouldn't necessarily think from looking from the outside, would you? But it's, it's, it's interesting that to hear that and I guess one of the common threads across these different areas you're talking about, whether it's, we're talking about the psychological safety or about the taking a step back and 
getting in that helicopter and, and flying over things and taking a different look at stuff is, is avoiding groupthink, yeah? I mean, it's, that seems to be something that can, can wreck an organisation if people just get locked into a certain way of thinking without any period of sort of examination about whether that's necessarily the best way to go. It can, uh, and I think in good sports teams and in good companies, you are employing talented people. Yeah. That, that have come through an elite youth system to be developed into sport, to be trusted to do what they're doing. Or they've come through top universities or graduate programmes to be qualified in their specific area of expertise. Now, on the journey in sport and on the journey in academia, what they're doing is getting different skills and pushing boundaries all the time and thinking differently and challenging theories because it's an evolutionary world. You look at the Liverpool team that dominated in the 80s. You look at the Manchester United team that followed that. You then look, you've had Arsenal, Chelsea, um, Manchester City along the way. Different types of football, different paces of football, different formations. So things are always changing. And it'll change again. But it'll change by someone actually challenging that theory and making it different. And a team will dominate the 2030s that we don't know exists yet. Mm. It could be two at the back and eight up front. Who knows? But it will be different. That's extreme. Now, in business, I think you've got to do the same. We, we've now gone through a pandemic and we've actually seen a shift in uh, the, the commerce world in terms of buyers and consumers buying far more online than actually walking into shops. Mm. This was actually already happening before a pandemic to a degree, but happening at a slower rate. It's now been completely expedited by the situation that the world's in. But there are certain businesses that were clearly already looking forward in terms of what may come next. And they may have already put their eggs in that basket of online retail and consumerism, distribution, purchasing, different customer experience. And they're the ones that have been extremely successful mm. straight away. That may change again. There are sort of talks now of localisation. Uh, it won't be as big as sort of the, the, the mass online retailers, but certain reasonably well-populated areas, people are actually going back to the village shop, back to the village butcher, back to get the haircut in the local village or the local mm. town that they worked. Now, these things had actually completely disappeared around about 15 years ago. Uh, your local petrol station, it's opening up. Will economies uh, and governments start to encourage this will there be a space what's the difference in the movement of money cash seems to be disappearing there are more online transactions than ever there are cryptocurrencies out there in the world that were sort of poo-pooed by banks and financial industries as little as two three years ago uh, things such as bitcoin it rocketed up it dived again it's now coming forward again and banks are actually getting involved in this and starting to regulate it uh, and may see it as part of financial transactions going forward in years to come. So <laughs> it changes, uh, but bright people and people in your teams and individuals underneath this are the people that will make it happen. So mm. if you don't trust them to be able to do it or analyse it, or get the evidence and make the decision that we should go this way or go that way, you will get caught. Mm. And I think there are similarities between sport and business in that manner. Yeah, organisations challenge the individual. 
but mm. certainly the individual challenges the organisation after that because the organisation gives the individual the resources to be able to progress and be able to push. But once that individual grasps that, we find in sport that that individual takes you to the next level. It pushes the boundaries of the team and the organisation in order to be successful. Mm. So it's important that the individual has a part to play in that because in sport you have, like I've said before, you have outliers. You have that that bit of a dynamic in your team that doesn't always conform to the group. Now that's not necessarily a negative thing that that's a positive thing because they are pushing boundaries because they're pushing faster than the rest who are happy to just go along with the norm mm. so once you have an organization that accepts that and that individual knows he's in an organization that will help him achieve that you're starting to fly now you st- and then it's that continuity effect can you keep those people be within the organisation, pushing the boundaries, pushing the boundaries, where are resources to do that? It, the people then who have to provide that for the individual. So it's quite an interesting quite an interesting journey, but certainly in sport, individual push the coaches. It's not necessarily the coaches push the individual. Mm. It works the opposite sometimes. <coughs> Those ones who want to really achieve and want to go far, they will push you into coaching them in that direction which in turn will push the others underneath to do more, to be better. And then that's facilitated by the organisation to, to make it happen. Is that a long way from the football that you first came into as a teenager at Burnley? Is it? I think as an individual, everybody has, has an ambition. I think what has changed now is it was a career, mm. a young football player, so a career in football, which probably became you know, a success further down the line. It wasn't as automatic as it needs to be now. You know, Mm. now the individual comes into sport and the demands are quicker, faster, has to happen. Whereas it ends up being a good career, but I don't think it initially starts out as a career. It starts out as, I'm in this sport, I'm demanding everything, I can give this, give me this back and we'll be successful. And the quicker that happens, the better. Mm. In In my day, it was more... I could see myself starting at 16 years of age and finishing at 30, 33, having had a good career mm. in football. That, if you get to that point now, you've, you've done really, You're doing really pretty well. well. Yeah. yeah, because yeah. circumstances are, are different now in order to get a 20-year career. Mm. You know, some people are looking at five, 10 years, maybe even less yeah. now, but could say they've been successful in that period of time. But in terms of that demanding from the coaches and so on, I mean, now it seems, you know, we hear a lot about players wanting the respect of their coaches and and uh, it being a two-way process and, and yeah. all that kind of stuff. But I'm thinking back to the, you know, the football of the 70s and 80s. It must have been quite different, no? I mean, I don't... Rewards are different now. Yeah. You know, so, so, you know, things can happen far quicker. Rewards can happen far earlier. Mm. Um, and I think that may, in some cases, take the edge of what you really want to achieve. You know, you can have short-term, medium-term, long-term success. I think satisfaction for me has always been long-term. Yeah. You know, and uh, and staying in the game as long as I have, and hopefully staying it for a lot longer. But it's it's all putting those processes in place that give you that opportunity, finding those right organisations that can that are really thinking in the same way as you're thinking. Mm. 
and allowing you to bring your strengths and sometimes your weaknesses to the organisation, but you're, you're cosseted a little bit through the organisation because they will allow you to make mistakes. That's really important, is, is finding somewhere where you feel comfortable in making mistakes, but it's everybody's mistake and it's done for a reason, which is to progress and get better. Mm. I think that's important. And if you have that, that drive and you have that person or owner or head of your department who gives you that space... I think you can produce things, you know, and it's it's a journey. It, is, it literally is a, 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 a journey as long as you want it. Mm. Um, and it can be successful. Interesting to, to, to end on that point, really, which goes back to what we were talking about at the start, really, wasn't it? I mean, so it rounds it up very nicely there that creating that culture and that environment where people feel they can come forward with ideas. and Yeah, I, I think get the right people. Give them the structure, give them the clarity, uh, let them know why they're there. They're there for a purpose and it's to impact the organisation or the team. And trust them. Uh, let them get on with it. Measure it. By all means, look at it, be it three months, six months, nine months, annually, two years, three years in business. Uh, we do it in football seasonally. Uh, I think when you've made a change in manager, you can football can learn from business in terms of going six months 12 months, 18 months, and look at the progression of the team rather than the trophies that are on the table. Because if the progression's right, the trophies will come. And in business, again, if you get this right, long-term, profit will increase, employee harmony will improve, the culture around the place, throughout the organisation will be better. And if you've got happy people who are happy in the work, Evidence tells us that A, they'll do more work, B, they'll do more creative work, and C, the organisation will be more successful going forward. There's a lot to go into, isn't there? There's so, many, so much there, really, in the whole business and sport, sport area, which is why I guess you're putting together these courses and these programmes to really dig deep into this and, and extract as much value out of sport for business people as you can, and vice versa in some cases, yeah? It, it works. I mean, I, I'm responsible to... Mike and a manager who's trying to achieve success, but a lot of the ideas that I might take to them could come from Google, they could come from Coca-Cola, they could come from Facebook, big companies. Uh, and likewise, when I've worked in the business world, they'll sort of ask, well, when you spend time working with British Cycling, what are they doing? How do they win things? In your studies of Manchester United, how did that system work? How did that machine work to win things repeatedly year after year? but win things with different teams. So there are constant questions in my life from business to sport and sport to business. And I think the one that embraces the other, and again, vice versa, is the one that is ultimately more successful as they go forward. Hmm. Thanks very much indeed, Dave. Thanks, yeah, Mike. And uh, we look forward to uh, continuing these discussions on different platforms over the uh, weeks and months ahead. Thank you.